Hello, hello! Welcome to the final installment of our mini-series, How Do You Know It's Time To... dot dot dot. And today we're talking with Brie McQueen. She's the owner of Brie McQueen Bridal, and she is telling us how to know when it's time to hire out for professional help. And I know a lot of us need help, but in this particular episode, we're talking about professional help in our businesses. <laughs> So maybe you're at that point in your business where you're like, I'm so busy, but I know that like my biggest moneymaker is the actual sewing or like my physical interaction with brides. And I need to delegate tasks to others to help me with like the emailing or the social media marketing or my branding or sending invoices. I mean, there are all these daily tasks that um, you may be thinking about hiring out to get help with. So that's what this episode's all about. And Brie gives us some really great insight on how she budgeted for this, how it became like a gradual process. And I think most importantly, how she found the right fit for her business and for her brand. So I hope you um, get as much out of this conversation as I did. But before we dive in, I wanted to remind you to register for our free masterclass that's coming up on March 9th and 10th. We're talking all about introducing bridal packages to your current portfolio. So this is not an all-day masterclass. We'll be meeting for about an hour each day. And if you register, if you've been in a masterclass with me before, you know that I send you a little um, video with homework so you can prep the week before. And then we'll meet to talk about developing a package system that fits your business. So this is not all-inclusive alterations. I know some of you do offer that, but this is like a fittings package that is added on top of your um, alterations cost and the point of the packages is to cover the cost of your fittings of your preparation of the business time in addition to the actual sewing time and what this does is it helps your clients truly understand what they are getting when they work from you work with you and um, what they can expect from you um, just straight from the jump so this has been such a blessing in my business and uh, I can't wait to talk about it I love this topic so you can head to the uh, link that is in the show notes and that will take you to the registration and I will see you hopefully March 9th. All right, let's dive into the episode. You're listening to Secrets of a Bridal Seamstress podcast. I'm your host, Nadine Bozeman. In this podcast, I'm sharing business systems and strategies specifically tailored to the bridal sewing industry so you can build your own modern and profitable bridal alterations business. Join me as I also get to chat with fellow seamstresses and share their personal success stories. I'm so glad you're here and that we can grow together in this unique trade. All right, we are here today with Brie McQueen, and you may know her by her beautiful Instagram feed and her, I always refer to her clear branding as an example of great branding and marketing. So Brie, I'm just so honored that you're here. Thank you for giving us your time. And Thank uh, you so much for having us. me. Yeah. So um, how about you tell us a little bit about Brie McQueen Bridal and how that all started and kind of start from the beginning. Um, okay. So like many of us, like my mom and my Nana were excellent sewers. Um, my Nana made my mom's wedding dress. Like she wow. was a really good, she was a really good seamstress. My, um, my sister and I had a lot of those like tacky matching dresses with like the <laughs> sash that matches the one ribbon on the other. Kind of thing. So when we were growing up, like we had all of this stuff, so every special occasion dress was made by mom and Nana. Wow. Um, so I do kind of above, like, oh yeah, you know, my grandma sewed a little bit. It's like the fact that you got holiday outfits 
Oh, yes. And the pictures to prove it. <laughs> um, so I say that it comes like built in a little bit, but I would say I'm the first um, in my family to like make a career out of sewing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it um, it kind of came to that point where it was like, okay, you got to pick a career. And like, I really have like an artistic side, but I didn't want to be like a fashion designer. That wasn't my calling. Um, I'm not as great at the drawing part of of fashion, and uh, but I was really good at the construction. Mm-hmm. So um, when it came time to pick like a post-secondary, I did go to college um, for fashion construction. Oh, wow. um, I had to move to the city. I moved to Toronto for three years to do that program. Um, there's only two schools in Ontario that offer that program. So it was like move to the city or pick something else. <laughs> um, so I did a three-year program there. And actually when I, when I finished that up, I did a, another program specifically for um, body modification garments. Uh, so like bustiers, corsetry, that kind of stuff. And wow. when I was looking for my internship following that program, we had to do an internship to graduate. So um, I couldn't find like a lingerie designer to be paired with. And that was fine. So they placed me with bridal. Um, there was a, I worked for a couture bridal designer in Vaughan, um, which is near Toronto. And I was like, okay, you know, whatever. But now that I've had that experience, there are so many similarities in construction between lingerie and corsetry. And so it's either like you go into bridal or you're into like theater costume historical yes, yeah I'm like those are the things that take the most like brain work for me are those construction type projects or like the the building in the support and so the fact that that's like literally your specialty is like very impressive yeah. <laughs> um so yeah that I mean I kind so I guess you could say I sort of fell into bridal by accident mm-hmm. um but once I got started that internship like I never I never looked back. I never pursued the lingerie stuff any further. I never went into general tailoring. I went straight from that internship to working in a bridal salon. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've been a bridal seamstress ever since. Wow. So you, did you start as like a, um, a partner with a bridal salon that like sold dresses? Were you their in-house seamstress? Yes. Um, So at the time that was like, so now the norm in my area is that bridal shops don't have in-house seamstresses anymore that I'm going to say probably in the last like five to eight years has basically disappeared. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the time, so this is like 15 years ago, uh, it was the norm most for the most part to have an in-house seamstress at a bridal salon. So I started working there. I think I worked on a team of, I'm going to say four seamstresses um, at that shop. And like, there were the, like the standard the best the alterations lifers that had been in there and that's where I learned a lot of that stuff Mm -hmm. um specifically because altering is so different than constructing from scratch totally and um when I was working in my internship that was that's construction from scratch like that's a different thing but altering is you know you learn the tricks and you just kind of have to keep doing it so when I started it was like shorten crinolines and sew on buttons and remove beads like it was like the crummy parts of alterations Um, but like you 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 know you work through it and you get trusted a little more and a little more a little more and then after you know a few years of doing that you start so I'm like in my early 20s at this point you start kind of taking on a little more work on the side and maybe you start working on weekends 
And then maybe you go down to part-time at the shop because you're part-time at home. And then like, you know, you just kind of slowly make that way into full-time Mm self-employment and that leap is a scary one, but you know, we, we do it and that's it. So yeah, there are two women that I'm working with now who are in that boat where they're like, I'm at a, I'm an in-house seamstress. I want to become independent. And then there's kind of that, like, you know, you want to do it ethically. You don't want to be like, you know, so there has to be that like bravery in the open communication. And then you just take the leap, you know? So, wow, I had no idea that you were um, a bridal salon partner. And it's funny that you mentioned how it's kind of disappeared in your area. Cause I feel like that's how it is around here. There are two shops that I can think of that have in-house seamstresses and it's like, Oh, it's almost like a little bit archaic. <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. When I was working at the salon, it was like an hourly wage. Like you went there, you did your nine to five, you got done whatever you could get done. And mm-hmm. you know, if you weren't quick enough, they'd tell you to pick up the pace and. Oh, wow. You know, I haven't then, heard like, of that. A nine to five, like an hourly wage for that. Wow. And we, I mean, there was like, I think one evening a week where we would do like fittings later into the evening, but you started later in the day that day. Um, so that was like, I was, I was employed by the shop the same way the bridal consultants would be. And then in the winter, um, so like during that slow season, when they didn't have enough to keep four seamstresses on, um, we would go out onto the floor and we'd be bridal consultants, like salespeople. Wow. Okay. So it's like, I mean, now it's good to have that experience of having been on the other side of the sales part. But yeah, I think in my area, I can think of maybe one shop that still has an in-house seamstress. And I actually think she like owns the store, like the bridal salon and everybody else. It's like, you buy your dress, like here's a sheet of paper. These are the seamstresses we recommend, you know, how Mm -hmm. far do you want to drive kind of thing. And like, have a nice day. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Like, I think, yeah. Anyway, I could go more into that, but that's a different episode. (laughs) It's a different topic. I don't feel like like I've been doing it for long enough to say like, well, back when I started my career, but like (laughs) the, the truth is it's changed that much over that length of time. Right, right. I think so too. The culture is changing so much and the expectations. Yeah. Okay. So when you did branch off, because it appears that you do attract like luxury brides and like there's a very specific client that you want to work with. So when you first branched off on your own, was that the case or how long did it take for you to find like your ideal client? Um, It took me a really long time to find my ideal client. And it actually, I think it took me a long time to admit that I had an ideal client like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because when you start out like I think one of the first wedding dresses I did um you know it was like somebody that it was a girl I worked with at the salon she was a she was a consultant she was getting married and she had like these ideas about adding teal and violet to her gown and so it was like this is a project I can take on on the side so you yeah. start doing like whatever is offered to you and then I think I did like my aunt's sister's second wedding dress for you know a, a wedding in the Bahamas so it was like a casual knee-length dress and you just kind of like you build up your skill and you build up your confidence because mm-hmm. like and I'm like we'll touch on like the billing and stuff I'm sure as we get into this but like also didn't feel like I could charge luxury rates like I'm I'm like a Kijiji seamstress at this point. So Kijiji's like, uh, like online, like Craigslist. I think you guys oh. um, so it's like, you're skipping like, that like Canadian lingo. Is that what we're learning today? Or um, I actually didn't until it came out of my mouth. I didn't think about the fact that that was only here. I know you guys have Craigslist. <laughs> okay. Um, anyway, Kijiji. so it's okay. like, I'm, 
I'm putting myself out there and just saying like, okay, general alterations, bridal alterations, mm-hmm. you know, pillow shams. Like I would, I would take on whatever oh, when yeah. I first started. Um, and the then, garbage bags of, you know, random clothes from people's closets. Yes. I had yes. those from my coworkers <laughs> when I was working as a teacher, they would just bring me stuff in the staff room. And I was like, okay, Thank <laughs> you. Say no. <laughs> yeah. So I started taking on like all kinds of stuff and then I kind of narrowed myself down to like, okay, like let's just stick with the formal wear. Um, and you know, we'll kind of go from there. And then it started to become more, then it was predominantly bridesmaids dresses and like grad dresses and prom dresses that I was doing. Um, when I first sort of narrowed myself down to that and now it's just wedding dresses. Like, I mean, I do see some other formal wear clients, but I really do. I will only work on the formal wear dresses at this point. Um, but I would say about 95% of my clients are the wedding dress and like the other, the rest are like the prom, the bridesmaids, the moms, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So was there like a conscientious effort to attract more like high-end brides or how did that transition work? Cause I know that's going to play into developing your branding. So do you feel like you put, um, like a conscientious effort in your branding first, or were you just learning how to attract the clients kind of organically and then built your brand around that? So probably more of the second one. Um, so when I was, you know, starting to build my brand and becoming more confident, I was lucky enough that I was at the age where everyone I know was getting married. Mm-hmm. So this is happening. So we're talking like mid twenties, we're going to seven or eight weddings a season kind of thing. Like we, that was what we did. Yeah. <laughs> and once you get one of the brides, you know, it is likely that you'll also get some bridesmaids and it is likely that, you know, a year from now, those bridesmaids are also going to be married yeah, and totally. get their bridesmaids and then somebody's sister. So like, that's kind of how I got that ball rolling just to, just to specifically do bridal was it happened to be that my friends were of the age where we were getting married. Mm-hmm. And so it, it was easy to attract those clients because I knew most of them or I knew them through somebody else or somebody else that they knew used me. Mm -hmm. Um, it it was at that point, I was going to say like maybe a couple of years into that was when I started like, okay, I'm just going to do bridal. Um, just again, I guess I kind of fell into it. It seems weird to say that. Um, but but I think like you, like looking at, like as an outsider, looking at your brand, I feel like you're not just going to kind of take any bride who's looking for like, Oh, the lowest ticket or, Hey, I'm shopping around. So how did you develop that confidence in accepting just who you wanted or the tickets that, you know, you thought would be worth it? So I would say that has really only happened to me in the last maybe five or six years, Mm -hmm. Um, a little bit before that, but, um, understanding that my education has to be worth something um, was a really big one. And I think part of that came through when we put um, my husband through schooling again and again, he's like one of those people that just loves to get more education. Um, So when, uh, when we were putting him through his masters, it was like, okay, education is worth something in a standard career type. So not self-employed, not entrepreneurial, but in his office, those letters equal higher pay. I have an education, therefore I should command higher pay. And a lot of seamstresses are self-taught. So it doesn't necessarily have to be education on paper, but years of service or the knowledge you accumulated and you can do it quickly. You can do it slowly, you know, but, um, like learning that 
the years I've put into this and my skills are worth something was a huge step towards knowing my worth, knowing my value and understanding where I kind of fall on that hierarchy of, of, uh, wedding types around here. And now I've found that I kind of fit into this group of wedding vendors where a lot of my clients bought their dress from, you know, one of five stores, they're probably hiring a photographer, like one of five, I can name them. Like you, you just get into this like demographic of bride Mm -hmm. where this is, this is kind of what I can command and so this is what I'm going to charge. Uh, there were years and years that went by where I was getting the dresses that were, you know, ordered online, the secondhand, the pop-up sales, you know, those kinds of dresses. Mm-hmm. And I'm busy enough now that I can say no to people that I don't feel like are a good fit. Yeah, I think you articulated that so well, because that's hard to put into words. But it's it's true. Like, I think pricing always seems to be this topic that continually comes up what people charge based on where you live in the country or what you've been taught, what you should be charging for things, you know, what you've been taught in the past, but that education, um, cause I was just talking to something about this of how like, okay, to raise straps, right. It doesn't take you hours to raise the straps, but you're not going to charge based on your time. You're going to charge based on your experience and you know how to raise these straps without making it look like you even touched them. And that's, like the value of your time. I don't want to use the word justify your pricing, but sometimes we feel like we are trying to justify it because there's no standard out there at this point. Exactly. standard. Yeah. As you're like building the brand and, and you're seeing the right clients coming in and all that fun stuff, when did it become a point where like you needed to get help for like the non-sewing jobs, like the branding or the photography or the marketing, like when did you decide to hire out for that? Um, so that stuff started about three years ago. Um, I was so busy. I like, I don't want to say I'm the only one in my area that does this, but, um, where I live, I'm like right between two major cities Mm -hmm. and people are willing to travel, you know, 45 minutes or an hour to come and see me from either side. And, um, so then it kind of became like, okay, well, if I'm, you know, people are willing to travel to me, I'm fully booked. Like I can't possibly take on any more work, um, and still sleep and feed myself. So I need, I need help. And so I started looking for sewing help. And so many of us go through this. You, it's really, really hard to find good sewing help. Anyone that knows they're any good is working for themselves. Mm-hmm. And, you know, anybody that says they're any good and they're not working for themselves, you know, we test them out and maybe it's not the right choice. But wedding dresses are such a one shot dealy. I feel mm-hmm. I'm a super duper control freak. I make lists for everything. <laughs> I'm the most A type person I know. Like I couldn't relinquish control over the sewing. So I'm like, okay. Mm-hmm. I only have two hands. I can use them to sew or I can use them to email people. Mm-hmm. I can use them to answer the Facebook messages. And that stuff takes so long. And you're texting the same thing to people over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. So the first thing I did when I realized, like I kind of figured this out. I was like, I've got two hands. I need them to sew. What can I hire out that can free up my hands to do sewing? And so the first thing I did was I got um, one of these automated CRM, like a customer relationship manager. 
Um, there are tons and tons of different systems like this online, but this has been an absolute game changer for me. Automating the inquiry forms, the incoming information, automating when I send out my contracts, all my signatures are online, all my payments are online. Um, my clients can schedule their own appointments. They can reschedule their own appointments. This freed up an enormous amount of my time. Mm -hmm. So once I got that, the learning curve on those things is steep. Like yeah. <laughs> I'm not a computer techie person. I'm a yes. skilled trades person. I do <laughs> I not feel do that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the learning curve with that was like, it was a steep one. But once I got that in my belt, I was like, okay, this has freed up a lot of my time. This is wonderful. What else can I hire out? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just about to have my third anniversary of like, uh, opening up this CRM program that I use. So that's been three years of that. And then about a year and a half ago, um, the babysitting of this system got to be like, okay, I'm done. I'm done with the computer work. If I can be completely hands-off of my client communication, like via email and the scheduling and the stuff. And also this is during COVID people have changed their wedding dates. Like Wow. A million yes. times. And yeah. I was over the paperwork, paperwork, the administrative yeah. digital stuff. Um, so I was like, okay, how can I get help with this? And I'm in a lot of, um, you know, online forums for women in business and entrepreneurial people and this and that. And um, I kept seeing the term VA, uh, virtual assistant come up. And I was like, okay, what can these VA people do? Like, let's look into this a little bit more. So I started out then on my journey of hiring a virtual assistant, mm -hmm. um, which is a tough one. And like hiring anybody virtual or in person, like you need to interview people and you need to make sure that you're on the same page and, and that, you know, you're going to vibe because you're going to talk to these people a lot. Like, right. <laughs> they really need to become good friends with you <laughs> um, in order to be able to effectively communicate with your clients as like, not as if they were, because she's not impersonating me. Right. She's using like my voice the way mm -hmm. I would. So I started interviewing VAs and then that was like level two of being more hands-off of the computer stuff. Um, and then, you know, then things kind of start to keep going and and again, there's a learning curve with that working with yeah. a VA. Uh, so that was when I sort of figured out that we need to hire somebody to manage the social media because that's not part of my VA's job is managing social media. There are lots of the of people that will do both. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, once I had my VA and we're getting like, you know, we're getting our feet under us for the the client communication and the things that are coming in, but we're still getting inquiries from every direction you get the instagrams you get the facebooks you get the text messages the voicemails I hate voicemail i don't know if you hate oh, me too me too and to i'm like who's still giving out my number there's one shop who still has my number on something and so i just i'll uh, send like a text like, oh, this is my personal number, please. And then I block them after I send them because it's like, I just don't want that access crossed. And yes. then, you know, I, I know that they can contact me through my website, through my email, and then personal stuff is deleted. So anyway, sorry to interrupt you. I just got really heated about okay. that. <laughs> but the voicemail. Yes. About voicemail. <laughs> Um, so once, so we're still getting all of these emails and, and, and the cold call emails where like, they don't include enough stuff. And that was when I was like, okay, I need a proper website. 
with, you know, that I can put information on people can fill in a contact form that I ask all the questions mm-hmm. and then I get, I gather all of the information I can, uh, you know, and then kind of move forward with whether or not I'm going to take somebody on as a client. Right. Um, and I need the answers to X, Y, and Z before I can, before I can commit to taking someone on as a client. Yeah. And so between my assistant and I, you know, that was when it, it was like, okay, we need to streamline this. And that's when the website came up. So that was, a, it was a little bit of a COVID project. Um, and it was a little bit because I couldn't handle people rescheduling anymore. And I, I mean, I had the time to deal with it at that time too. So there yeah. was a, there was a lot of good for me that came out of having that downtime. Um, yes, but yeah. my website was, was again, like next level game changer. So we went like CRM, into the VA and then now the website is uh they actually working for you instead of yeah. just like a place to find their your contact information. And I think a mm-hmm. lot of people feel like okay I have a website it's like a homepage but then what is the website doing for you? Is it communicating your systems, your basic pricing? I just recently put some basic pricing on my website and that took me a long time because I'm like I don't want numbers up there yeah but that's also a filtering system too right like people can see like what I'm about or what I'm charging and if then if they want to move forward they can fill out the form that has all the questions that I want and so but it does take time to put into the website to get it to work for you instead of just like okay it looks pretty and now people know how to get a hold of me it's like I'm paying for this website so how can it work for me <laughs> yeah. So oh, go ahead. I hired a um a website designer and a branding specialist that worked together and they made it so that my website can talk to my customer relation system software whatever and so those things all work together now um which That's is awesome. it's amazing. Um I absolutely have no idea how to do it. And That's okay. That's okay. Other people That's do. my job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um so, but yeah, I totally agree. Putting numbers out there, putting yourself out there because you know that not everybody's going to be happy with what they see. Mm-hmm. It's like, you have to kind of take everything that comes in with a grain of salt and, you know, just do the best you can. And I think having at least some numbers on your website, having some, even if it's just a range, I think mine is a range right. where it says average alteration costs are this, yep. this, or this. Mm-hmm. Then at least people show up knowing what to expect. And, yeah. you know, it, it gives them an idea, but it does help narrow out the people that maybe don't have that in their budget. If they're like, oh, well, if average alterations cost this and, you know, that's double what I was hoping to spend, then, you know, don't fill out the contact form. And that's totally right. okay. Right. Um, there, are, there are, you know, there's somebody for everybody and they, I'm sure they'll have, you know, good luck finding a seamstress that can work within their budget. Yeah. Yeah. I remember having that anxiety, because this was literally just like a couple months ago, like, okay, here I go. And I've been thinking about it before then, probably like six to eight months. Like I just yes. need to put something out there and I do the same thing. I'm going to go to your website now and see, like compare our two, because <laughs> I bet it's probably <laughs> similar, but yeah, it's like, okay, here's your basic. If your dress is kind of like this, here's, if you want more extensive and here's, you know, just so that there is a, uh, and there's a pretty wide range, but I feel like yeah. And I remember when I like hit publish, I'm like, okay, nobody's going to fill out a form now. And I think the next day it was kind of quiet. So I was like, oh no, this is the end. But then it was fine. No, like all these things that we tell ourselves, like, <laughs> no, it's actually going to be fine. And I feel like, yeah, the, the appointments that I have had, people know what to expect and they're more 
it's not like a weird, I don't know, the more upfront you can be about your money and the pricing, you just can feel more confident from the jump. So, Mm -hmm. um, but I love that. I think that's so encouraging. I love how you said you just have two hands because I've been considering hiring other seamstresses or, and I'm like, I just don't have peace about it yet. And so I'm not ready to like pull the trigger on that, but I have been thinking, okay, what other things can I delegate or hire out for, or people who can do this better than I can without like wasting brain space. Like if I know this isn't a skill of mine, letting go. So Rebecca, if she'll be listening, Rebecca (laughs) is my VA. So she's going to be editing this for us. And (laughs) even just, yeah, I'm hoping to have a different podcast episode just about the, the, power of a VA. And I think sometimes as seamstresses, we think, okay, well, I don't really have like a digital business. Like I sew. So why would I want to hire somebody like a virtual assistant? But you just listed all of these tasks that do not include sewing. That's your moneymaker. So how can you hire out for these other like things that other people can do better than us? And we kind of hate to admit it, but we, you know, there are skills that we haven't mastered and that's okay. <laughs> Even 100% breaks client emails better than I do. Like, and she remembers stuff like yesterday I was talking, she, we were talking with somebody that inquired. It's a person that I've worked for before I did her wedding. Now she needs a bridesmaid's dress done, but it's not coming in until like three weeks before the wedding, this, that, and the other thing. And then she's like, oh, do you want me to mention like there's a rush fee? Because it's like, this is within two weeks of the wedding by the time her dress mm-hmm. is supposed to come in. And I was like, yes, good call. I would have forgotten that. But it's in her brain space to remember those things. It's it's in mine to say, (laughs) I know I'm full, but I also did, you know, Jackie's wedding. So Mm -hmm. I'll still take her on. Um, So yeah, there, she's a better rememberer and better email writer than I am. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously, know it, the power of releasing the tasks or releasing the control. And like, you already kind of touched on this a little bit, but I think a fear is, okay, what if I don't find the right match? Or what if there's like, like dissonance? How did you have weird experiences before you landed on the perfect match? Or how um, was that? With my, with my brand designer, my website designer? No, I definitely stalked her on social media for like a solid six months before. Mm-hmm. I looked. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it was, it felt like that was the best choice for me because I, I watched her online and if this is her space, so it's like, you know, you wouldn't take like fitness advice from somebody that wasn't like super fit. You don't want to take website advice from somebody who doesn't have like a top notch website. Mm -hmm. So I think in that case, it's easy to kind of weed out people that maybe don't, uh, don't have your same vibe. And and to find somebody that really struck a chord with me uh, online, especially for that online stuff, um, it did take some time. I followed a lot of people. And what it was just when I kept going back to the same thing where I was like, oh, I really like how she does this. Oh, I really like how she does this. It's okay to like other people and understand that their taste isn't the same as yours. Mm-hmm. Um, so with that stuff, I like, I guess I would say I did my research, but I didn't have any bad experiences because I didn't hire anybody else. Um, with the VA thing, I interviewed like about a dozen people before I found yeah. the right match. Wow. Um, I'm intense. picky, I guess. <laughs> um, but like they were Zoom interviews. I had like four and I thought that was like, wow. And, um, 
I guess, so it maybe wasn't so much about finding somebody that vibed with me. It was about finding somebody that fit into the budget that I had and that was offering the skills that I needed and not a bunch of extra stuff that I didn't need Mm -hmm. because I wasn't looking for a social media manager at that point. I was just needing somebody to do the emails. And because a lot of people that work online in that area do a lot of different stuff. And so you can kind of stack up your packages and things. And I didn't need that. I don't yeah. want to go viral. I'm like, I'm full. I just need somebody to babysit the clients that I have. Right. Right. Um, yeah. Send out the emails when I need them to go out, make sure the contracts get signed and, uh, and that kind of stuff. So I, I'm more needed to interview more people in that area because I had a very narrow, uh, area of work that I was looking help for help with. And I had a fairly small budget for, you know, when, when I started with her for what I wanted to see happen, because I was like dipping my toe in, I don't want to commit to, you know, full tilt, take over everything because again, I'm a control freak. I need, right. I still want to see the emails. And I think stuff. most and of like, us are, if we've started a business, it's like there has, there's something in there that it's my baby. Like <laughs> to feel controlling. <laughs> Um, I will say with, as far as the social media management, so I have had people, um, manage my social media accounts, um, a couple of times over, I think I've had three, um, none of them have lasted like the test of time yet. I just think I haven't found, you know, the right person to do my Mm -hmm. social media posting with. Um, I have like a love hate relationship with my Instagram. (laughs) I love posting stuff on Instagram, but every time I do, I get more inquiries. And because I'm already full, I have a real problem saying no to people. Um, so there are spans where like, I don't post stuff for like four months goes by. And I just, Mm -hmm. I haven't posted anything because as soon as I did, people would ask me to do work for them and I can't say no to them. And I learned to get better at that. I've learned (laughs) that it's okay to say no. Um, because you can only take on so much. Um, but I would but say it's hard because you want to look like, okay, you're current, you're alive. This yeah. business is still going, but then there's that balance of like, okay, but I'm also not like actively, you know, asking for more business. And that's recently yeah. I started an Instagram account for my sweet Francis, like my bridal sewing business. And, um, I'm like, I need to have something just because when people come to my Instagram, it's mostly now podcast stuff and like membership mm-hmm. stuff and it's for seamstresses. So it's like the content isn't for my brides. Mm-hmm. And then when I started the Sweet Francis, it's like, even for a while, I'm like, I don't even really want to put much time into this because, and you know, like, you know what I'm saying when I say this, but I'm already like pretty booked. And so it's not, the, my intention isn't to find clients with my yeah. social media. The intention is to just, kind of establish my brand out there. People will know what they're going to get if they click on a picture or look at my captions or look at my quotes or whatever. So um, I totally get that balance of like, but then other people are like on the other side where they're like, I just started my social media. I'm trying to get my presence out there. I'm building up my clientele, you know, so you have like different purposes with your social media and it doesn't all work the same for everybody, like yes. we have different goals, you know what I'm saying? So after you had, cause this whole conversation is just so good because like I mentioned before, I think some of our audience members are thinking I couldn't, why would I need a VA? And then they're listening and they're like, Oh, this, these are all the reasons why, you know, but because of the nature of what we do and like we touched on starting a business, you know, I, uh, 
you need some tenacity to start the business and creativity. And like, we're really great at like DIY stuff and doing everything ourselves. So the thoughts of hiring somebody else to do something that we probably could figure out. I mean, it might take us like four days, but we would, we would save the money and then we would figure it out. You know, like we, there are a lot of people in that boat because I know I was there for a long time and it sounds like you were there for a while too. Like, is it really worth it? So how have you seen your brand elevated since hiring out for these tasks? So like immensely, (laughs) my, (laughs) my whole brand, my confidence in myself has changed so much since I've put this brand of mine and like, it's weird to call it a brand because it's just myself. I'm not advertising for like, you know, some huge Coca-Cola or so like Mm -hmm. they have a branding that's very different. All my stuff is, is, you know, some headshots and some color coordination and a logo that looks nice, but it makes everything so much easier for me to post online. You know, I, you, you do the headshots and you're like, okay, I've got, you know, months worth of content and I can write whatever I want under this picture, whatever I feel like I need to convey to my clients, I can write underneath this picture. And it makes picking stock images easier because you can buy the color that you're using and things like that. And everything then looks more put together. But I found the difference in once I put my website out there and I put pricing and I did the automation Um, the number of clients I have now that come and they're like, it was so easy to find all of your information online. It was so easy to book with you to know exactly what I was going to get to come to me already having confidence because Mm -hmm. I have these systems in place. Yeah. Um, That's what makes it feel worth it. And I will say that I get a lot of my business. I don't want to say all of it. I don't even know how much, maybe 75% of my business comes from one dress shop and it's about 45 minutes drive away from me. And they hand people the sheet and they say, these are the seamstresses we recommend, you know, within a hundred kilometer radius and go ahead and pick one. And our clients, generally speaking, the age that they're in, they're on social media. So if they can find people on social media and they can look at their page and they get a feel for how this person works, they're more likely to book with that person, Mm -hmm. even if it's just based on their Instagram and the feeling that that gives them. Yeah. Um, Then they are to say, if, like we said, when there's one shop that just has your cell phone number and that's it, Mm -hmm. like you have no uh, visual examples of this person's work. And like my Instagram is really not like a portfolio. Like there are some bridal seamstresses that their whole Instagram is like the before and afters or the, this is how we do things or look how cool this is. And I do post some of that stuff, but really the majority of it is not that it's just Mm -hmm. to give my clients a feeling and to know what they can expect. Yes. So I feel like that's really narrowed down the cl- the type of clients that I'm getting are people that can read through my captions and and get a feeling for how I work how, and how I act. Yes. Like, yep. I am fully out there. Like, if you read my webpage, that's how I speak. Like, mm-hmm. if, and if that speaks to you as a client, then great, we're a perfect match. But if you go on there and you're like, oh, this person's too prissy for me. Like, I I really want like a, you know, more rough and tumble, I'm going to get a deal kind of, kind of seamstress, then like you can go on my website and and realize that's not the type of, of seamstress I am. Mm -hmm. And, you know, maybe you continue your search. Yeah. I love how you kept saying people can visit your social media and they know the feeling they'd get working with you. And that 
is marketing in a nutshell. Like <laughs> that's perfect, you know? And um, we each kind of have our own uh, uh, systems or what's the word I'm looking for? Um, what is the word I'm looking for? Like marketing, not plans. Um, this will be an edit, by the way. What is that <laughs> word? Uh, strategy. Okay. I'll start the sentence again. Okay. <laughs> yeah. We each have our own like marketing strategy and you see that in different social media accounts from different seamstresses of like how they want to attract clients or what they want to, it's really like, what about them? Did they want to showcase, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like what about their business are they most proud of? And so that's, I think what we see on people's feeds. And I, I heard this recently, actually at our retreat, we were talking about social media and how brides start their alterations journey like well before they even get engaged. And oftentimes it does start with like investigating or like checking out social media of, you know, the vendors that they're going to dream of working with whenever they get the ring on their finger, you know? So sometimes it starts even before they get that seamstress list, but um, keeping that in mind too, that's often where these young 20 somethings are going. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> when they get your name on that list, like, oh, okay, let me check out hmm, the, my options here. Yes. I mean, so, I'm like, I do the same thing. It's oh, like, yeah. you know, if I was going to hire, you know, if, if I was looking for a hairdresser, like mm -hmm. that would be the first place I would go. Like, I want to see, I want to see some of your work. I want to, maybe I want to peek inside your studio a little bit. Like, and I want to see as much of that online as I can before I commit my time to going to see you in person, even if I'm not going to see you for an appointment, maybe I'm just, I'm just going to stroll in and see if I can book an yeah. appointment kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, so same kind of thing. Like that's where I would go to look for stuff. Mm -hmm. Oh, totally. So it's like, can't expect anything else from our potential clients. Cause like we all act the same way. So what would you like a final piece of advice? Cause this was really impactful. I'm really excited to get this episode out there, but what final piece of advice would you give to a listener who's considering hiring out? Maybe they're on the fence with either the control thing or the money thing. I feel like the money thing is probably a big, a big oh, deal. Yeah. Like I'm going to give my, what I have to pay somebody else for something. Like I'm the sole owner here. So how, how would you advise them to work through that with pros and cons or? Um, so have you ever seen something on Pinterest and you're like, I could totally make that. That's not that hard. I can make it. And then you like, you go to the store and you get all the materials and then you come home. So at this point, you're like, you're in this for hours already and you got to figure it out. You got to think all your way through it. And then you actually start assembling stuff. So you're in for more hours and like, then you run out of hot glue. So you got to go back to the store and then you get it done. And it's like, you know, it's pretty good. So if I would have just <laughs> you run out of hot glue. Store, <laughs> if I would have just spent the money, like if I go into the store and just have bought this finish, like, mm -hmm. you know, would I have been any further ahead? Like, or maybe they really like that they made it themselves. Like I totally do this all the time. Maybe they really like that they made it themselves or maybe they finished it and they're like, man, I should have just bought it when I saw it because that was great. Mm -hmm. Um, then it was finished. I didn't have to commit this many hours. And so I feel like that's the same feeling you know, when you're at this stage of your business, it's like, this is the feeling I could do all this stuff myself. Absolutely. Is it going to be a plus work? Like probably not. Um, right. you know, somebody else could absolutely do this better than me. And so I think that's when it's time to kind of take that leap is knowing where your strengths are, knowing where you could be doing better and valuing your time. Mm -hmm. I can, 
If I can offload something and that means that I can spend more time with my kids, great. If I can offload something, it means it can spend more time sitting on the couch instead of doing laptop work because I that's I don't like the computer part of this job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I also will add to that there's there's a learning curve to it. It's going to take some time. Like you can go out and hire a VA tomorrow. It's going to be three months before you're more hands off. Like that person has to learn. You have to learn. You have to learn how you work together, you know, and and respecting each other's boundaries and things like that. So there's yeah, there's two parts to that answer, I guess. One is somebody else might be able to do this better. And that's okay. It's okay to admit that to yourself. (laughs) two is what is the value of your time like you know where can you apply yourself better what could you be doing instead of this and that's when you can find time to hire stuff out yeah and it goes you gave a great example of like everything was it didn't all happen at once so it was what you could afford and then also like what you needed in the moment with the um, automated systems. And then the next step was like, okay, I can afford somebody and it's worth it to have somebody answer my emails. And then the social media marketing, it's like, it's like, or the social media management, everything didn't all come at once. So you can like dip your toe in and then like see how this feels and release the things like, what is it sequentially? Yeah. Yeah. Like priorities. And it's, and it's okay to admit if something's not working. Like I said, I've had three different people that I've tried to hire to do my social media and it's okay to say that it's not working or maybe it worked Mm -hmm. the first bit. And then, you know, maybe it kind of fell off after that. So I would say if anybody's looking at hiring stuff, you know, just be careful with your contracts for how long you're hiring these people for and making sure that you're comfortable spending that much for that long, but knowing that the first bit of it is going to be learning time. Mm -hmm. It doesn't just like, there's no one stop shop for somebody that's going to take over, you know, part of your business. Yeah. yeah, that's fair. And it's good to know that before you get into it, like with your eyes open, that it's not like, oh, great, I'm, I'm delegating. And now it's all theirs, not mine. It's like, there's that kind of learning process along the way. So well, I'm excited to hear how people will use this and maybe make the decision to hire out or just delegate a couple jobs, you know, a couple at a time. So thank you so much for sharing. Cause thank I know you. I've been a big fan and I'm like, Oh my goodness, everything does look so elevated. Like your website, your social media. I'm like, Oh, I love it. So thanks for sharing the secrets. Thank you so <laughs> much. For it, me. What it is. <laughs> this is awesome. And so where can people find you or learn more about you or check out your pretty feed? <laughs> um, you can check out my pretty feed. I'm on Instagram at Brie McQueen Bridal, uh, same on Facebook at Brie McQueen Bridal. Um, and then my website is just www.briemcqueen.com. Awesome. Thank you so, so much. Great. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it so much and can't wait to get this information out. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and share this podcast with a friend. And if you're feeling really generous, leave a review. Thanks everyone.